Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, good morning. I have a standalone message today. Uh, Pastor Linda had asked me maybe a month ago, just in conversation, she was, she was asking, you know, where are you going? And uh, I said, well, I have a couple of ideas, you know, nothing really concrete as of yet. So she asked me to bring this topic, and you'll get the topic in a little bit. Uh, the title of the message, if, if we could um, pull that up, is, uh, is The Rest of the Story. The Rest of the Story. Tell the person next to you, you're going to hear about the rest of the story. The rest that is in this story. How many of you know from Genesis to Revelation, God is telling a story? Right? They're not little, I mean, we see separate little stories, but they're all part of a larger story that exists that God has been telling for thousands of years. Well, we're going to hear about some rest in the story today. Uh, And let me start with a couple of thoughts. Uh, In ancient times, life moved along pretty slowly. And uh, one example of that would be the way that people communicated. The way they communicated. You see, in ancient times, really only government and kings could deliver mail. If they wanted to send a message, right, from one nation to another, one place to another, all right, it was quite difficult. So you had to be somebody of influence and affluence to really get that done. For example, in the 6th century, 6th century BC, the great uh, Cyrus, right? How many of you remember King Cyrus? Well, King Cyrus, uh, he had a group of individuals. They would travel by horseback and they would deliver messages. And they could go roughly 100 miles per day on horseback. Pretty interesting. The Arabs after, after that, uh, they would use pigeons, And then the Greeks, the Greeks would use their finest athletes. They would use their runners. And uh, it's it's said, and and we don't know for sure, but it's pretty wild even if it's close. During Alexander the Great's uh, reign, it is said that he had one runner that could go 148 miles in one day. Imagine that, 148 miles. And then you move forward, right, to more recent history. Did you know that up until the late 1700s, right, up until that point, if somebody immigrated from one country to another, you weren't going to, if you left, you probably were never talking to those people that you left. Whether it was your family or it was your friends, you're never talking to them again. Fast forward, even, you know, Closer. How about 1848? James Polk is our president, right? A president that not many of you probably would remember from school, but Polk is our president. In Washington, right, he wanted to send a letter to California. You know how long the letter took? Six months. Six months, 1848. How many of you remember, you're old enough to remember, you had to, you were mailing a letter out to somebody. You wrote a letter out, right? How many of you are older enough? If you're under, like, I I don't even know what the age was. I I lived in this world. It's kind of weird when you get to the point, you still feel like you're kind of young, and then you're like, I'm using an illustration, and I'm like, wow, like, you lived through this. How many of you, right, you you remember those days? And if you were going to mail a letter out, it was probably going to take maybe three days, And if it's going to the West Coast, it's probably going to take a little bit longer than that. Right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And then take it to today. I'm on a plane last Saturday, right? Heading down to Tampa. I'm meeting up with some of the guys. My brother, my cousin, a couple of guys, right? We're going to watch Tampa Bay lose another football game. I'm done with all football... And here's a, here's a little like tidbit. I always, we te- I always tease about the Jets and how the Jets always lose. So I jumped onto the bandwagon with my brother, and then Tampa Bay loses every time. And it's funny because, and I do this as retaliation for all of the teasing that I endured as a kid from my older brother. I root for the opposing team at the game when he's there, and he gets so annoyed. It's payback. It's payback. I'm not a Raiders fan, but last week I'm rooting for the Raiders. It's quite fun. And you have your own little stories. Uh, but how about when I'm on the plane, though, going down there, I just sat there saying to myself, you know, you have Wi-Fi. You're five miles above, above Earth, right? And you're traveling at, what, roughly 500 miles per hour? 
And then you have Wi-Fi and you can actually pull your phone out and you can send and receive emails and you can do all these different things. Do you sit there and think about how crazy that is? How instantaneous everything is with social media? I'll never forget last year. My kids are taking their AP exam, right? But kids on the other side of the world, right, in, uh, in Taiwan, right? Kids are releasing information. Now, they have different exams and stuff, but kids were releasing information on Twitter and Facebook and what have you about what was on their exam. And then our kids are taking it, what, 12, 16 hours later. I'm like, this world is crazy. Crazy. The age of information. Get this. One CEO of a marketing firm wrote, I'm tied to my laptop as if I was on an oxygen machine. I must cart it around to keep breathing. Scary. Most people are working more, more in overtime than ever in the Western world. And the boundary between personal time and work, it's blurred. Right? It's just kind of come together. And, and this is interesting. In studies, they say that we as Americans now officially sleep one less hour every single night. Only 20 years ago, going back 20 years, 20 years ago to today, we sleep one less hour every single night. Are you kidding me? Tired just thinking about that. And this is fallback Sunday, one of the best Sundays of the year, right? People still come in late though. You're still tired as a preacher. You're like, man, it's a, if my sermon is not good, at least I'm going to have everybody's attention because they've had a little more sleep. My cousin, Kristen, you posted something on Facebook and it was in my mind all night. She posted a picture as for parents. You don't get a night off, right? My oldest is up at like four in the morning. Megan, give him the iPad. Give him something. Right? How many of you parents, your kids are up earlier. Gosh. It's a crazy world, this FedExing, microwaving, right? Just moving so fast world where you get information. Everything is 24-7. I'm reminded of the story of the little girl that was asked. She was asked by somebody and they said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you know what the little girl quipped back? Tired. <laughs> Tired. Isn't that a great answer? Right? And it's so true. How many of us in here, you don't feel Tired. Pastor Lindo would like to meet with you after the meeting. We want to know what you're doing. So many of us, you hear it, it's so pervasive how tired people are. I love what Will Rogers, I don't know if you know, the, uh, he was you know, the vaudeville actor. He's from the early 1900s. Look what he said. Am I going to get my PowerPoint up? It's on, it's in Dropbox. It's not there. All right. So I guess you're going to have to just, what's that? You can pull up my C.S. Lewis account. All right. So I'll just tell you what he said. He said half hour. I don't care. I'm fine. I don't, it doesn't bother me. A couple of years ago, it would have bothered me. Honestly, it really doesn't bother me. I'm just going to tell you, I have all my quotes written down. I don't care. He said half our life. Listen, half our life is spent trying to find something to do with the time. We have rushed through life trying to save how true is that? This is a guy from the early 20th century. We're running around. Huh, huh, what are we going to do with all this time? And then we're like, I can't really save any of this time. It's kind of crazy. How about this? The average office worker, any of you work in an office? All right, you're going to be really excited about going back to work tomorrow. The average office worker gets 220 messages a day in emails, memos, phone calls, text messages, interruptions, ads. No wonder, listen to this, a survey of over 1,300 managers on four continents found that one-third of managers suffer from ill health as a direct consequence of stress associated with information overload. Information overload. How many of you can relate to that? You're an office manager. You, wow, you're like, I didn't come to church to feel worse about myself. Make me feel better. Give me some hope. A sociologist, Barbara Brown Taylor, she wrote this. Again, you just have to listen to me. Some of us have made an idol of exhaustion. Right here, one of your pastors made an idol. It's, it is. It's absolutely one of my idols. I love it when people say, 
You've, you've just, you've worked so hard. How are you doing it? How do you teach at school? And then how do you come in on Sunday and preach messages? I, j- I walk on, I, I just, I feel like I'm walking on the clouds when somebody says, it's not good, but it's real. It's true. How many of other people in it, you can relate to that? Exhaustion is an idol in your life. Wow. Wow. Maybe some of you should be up here speaking, Right. Wow, that's a little scary. The only time we know we have done enough is when we're running on empty. And when the ones we love most are the ones we see least, when we lie down to sleep at night, we offer our full appointment calendars to God in lieu of prayer, believing that God, who is as busy as we are, will surely understand. God, you'll understand. Look at my life. Look at how busy I am. Look at how busy we are. God, you have to understand. You're busy. You get this. You created the heavens and there. You created everything. You understand what hard work is all about? Friends, this impacts our lives in so many ways. But at the top of the list, the pace of our lives, the way we are moving as a culture, it is having a negative impact on our spirituality. Make no mistake about it, our spirituality is deteriorating. It is. You look at this, you look at how we live our lives and we don't really slow down. Can I say this to us? This is a tactic of the enemy in the 21st century. This is the way the enemy is trying to wear down us as the saints. He's trying to wear us down and saying, keep going, keep going, keep going on the hamster wheel. Keep going, keep moving faster and faster and faster. And what happens is, what does it say in Matthew? Is it 24 or 25? I don't know. This is like just a, I'm just going to have to just kind of roll with this. But in there, Jesus talks about, right, the love of many, right? Well, what? Well, wax cold. Why do you think Jesus said that? Why in the last days, why in this day and age will the love of many wax cold? First of all, it's a slow process when something waxes. It doesn't just happen overnight. But what the enemy is doing is slowly but surely he is taking us out. It's insidious. It is subtle. If he can keep us just really tired and continually moving and we don't stop and we don't rest... And we don't sit back and really reflect on what we're doing and the pace at which we're doing it and why we're doing it. It creates a myriad of problems for us. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to the book of Jeremiah, you're not going to see it on the screens. But in Jeremiah 17, and this I didn't put in my... All right, so I'm just going to read this to you. Jeremiah 17, uh, verses 21 through 25. I'm going to start there. And here's a passage that, interesting, when you look at the whole book. Now, I, I, I tried to choose, at least first, a, pas- a passage of Scripture that maybe you're not so familiar with. All right, and here's what we're going to be looking at. The book of Jeremiah, the message behind the book Jeremiah is the prophet. He's speaking on God's behalf. And God is outraged at the idolatry among the children of Israel. There is child sacrifice. They're, you know, going to the wrong wells. They're marrying the wrong people. There are all these issues. And in the midst of this, listen, this is the message, the crux of the message. In the midst of this message, God tells the weeping prophet Jeremiah, you are to deliver a message. And in this message, in Jeremiah 17, he's going to start talking about the Sabbath. That's what I'm talking about, the rest of the story. It's about the rest that we can find. And I know right away, this is a challenging kind of message to bring. Because I know for many of us, you're like, I've heard about the Sabbath before. You know what? That's like extra credit. That's for like you as a pastor. That's for like some of the other leaders. But this is not something I really have time for. My life is really busy. I don't need one more thing to throw on top of the heap. One more thing or to do that something on my to-do list. When God says, no, this is a gift that I'm giving you. It's the most important thing. One Jewish rabbi said it is the greatest gift. That God has bestowed on mankind the gift 
of the Sabbath. And so, as we look in this text here, in Jeremiah 17, 21 through 25, it says in 21, Thus says the Lord, Take heed to yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. But listen, But they did not obey nor incline their ear, but made their necks stiff that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall be, if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work in it. Then shall enter the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, David riding in chariots and on horses, and it goes on and on. God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he's saying, listen, if my people will actually honor the Sabbath day, the gift that I've given them, do you remember? He's going back and saying, going back to Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, and what are those passages? That's where we have the Ten Commandments. And he's going back and saying, do you remember when those stiff-necked people earlier on in Israel's history and how they didn't follow the Sabbath for over 400 years, they were in oppression. For over 400 years, they were enslaved. They were cogs in the system. They weren't human beings. They were human doings, right? You just do and you work and you work incessantly. You don't stop. God is saying, you don't, what will happen if my people will actually honor the Sabbath? It'll make a huge difference in their lives when you put me first. One rabbi said, you know what? When you look at the Ten Commandments, you can't understand the other nine commandments until you understand and practice the fourth commandment, which is the Sabbath and keeping that day holy. Can I just ask you, I wasn't planning on this, but let me, how many of you would say the Sabbath, which is, if you don't know what that word means in, in Hebrew, it's the Shabbat. A Jewish person would say, I celebrate Shabbat. It means rest. It is a time of slowing down. It is a time of delight. It is a time to contemplate and ruminate on what is real and true and what is important. It is a time when we step back from all of the inner voices that we hear inside of us all of the guilt and all of the shame and everything, all of the achievement. You know what the Sabbath is? The Sabbath is that you are more than your achievements. You are more than what you do in this world. Think about our culture, how whacked we are. You meet somebody, right? Hey, how are you? I'm James. What is the second question that usually comes up? You don't even know somebody. What do you do for a living? Everybody's worth is based on what you do. Not who you are, it's what we do. Do you work hard? What kind of job do you have? Well, then if you do work hard and you, you may be somebody of importance, then, oh, well, then you must be valued. Wow, how things are so out of whack in our world. And he goes on and he talks about that. I love, though, in Jeremiah, listen, these people didn't care about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not just like any other day. I know what some of us think, you know what? Well, what about a day off? Isn't that kind of like a Sabbath? I love what Eugene Peterson says. Eugene Peterson calls a day off a bastard Sabbath. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Just having a day off and what God tells us in the Bible about what a Sabbath is are two totally different things. Can you on your day off, can you get replenished? Can you get re-energized? Absolutely, there are things that you can do. But a Sabbath, my friends, is totally different. And I love it too. Peterson goes on. He, he talks about just kind of summarizing. He says, Sabbath was a symbol for the children of Israel of a deep relationship with God. And he says, you know what? When we violate Sabbath, it's like a spouse taking their wedding ring and throwing it in the face, right, of their, of their partner. Throwing it in the face or taking the flag, burning the national flag, What that statement means. That's what this looks like when we actually violate the Sabbath. And that's strong and it's quite evocative when you think about that. In looking at that and how important it is for us that we would stop and that we would reflect and that we would slow down. Here's one quote. I love what Peterson encapsulates it. He says, Sabbath, uncluttered time and space 
to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities so we can see what God was and is doing. Here's the best part. If we don't regularly quit work one day a week, we take ourselves far too seriously. Did you hear that? How serious I take myself if I do not stop for a period of time every single week. Do you know what Sabbath is? Sabbath is like a snow day, right? It's, we're, we're coming into the winter time, right? The, I think the, the hardest time of the year, right? How many of you would you with me on that, right? Toughest time of the year. But we are given by God 52 snow days every single year. 52. Come on, how many of you don't look excited, aren't you? I'm excited for a snow day to come. And the snow comes and you finish all your shoveling and then you're inside and you can watch a movie. You can snuggle up with some hot chocolate and some gluten-free desserts. And you can kind of just hang out with your kids and you can laugh and you can play games, right? You can't really go anywhere and you get a bad... Do you remember last year we had that big storm? I think there was one. I'm just, I think there was one last year. Every year. Isn't it, wasn't there a big storm at some point? Yeah, yeah, there was. Or at least in the last couple of years, you get a big storm, right? And sometimes you can't travel anywhere. And when you can't travel anywhere, right? How nice is it? It's kind of pathetic when you think about it. Our lives that we sit back, I look at myself and I go, oh my gosh, a day to not have to go to work or do any of this stuff. And I could just kind of chill out and relax and, and just be, right? You with me on that? I was reading a, 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 another author, and this is kind of a Sabbathy book. And it was the title of the book is "Present Over Perfect." Don't ask me who the author is, because when I just read, I'm like, people are like, "Who's the author?" I'm like, "I don't know. It's on my Kindle somewhere. I don't remember who, what the author's name was." And in the book, the most poignant part for me was where she talked about um, one of her friends had asked her. She's like a life coach, and one of her friends had asked her, "If you were given." An unlimited amount of money and a blank calendar. What would you do? Think about that for a second. Blank calendar. You can do whatever you want. Bank account has whatever you need. What would you do? You know what she said in the book? She said, it, it really caught me because this is, I, I kind of could feel the same way too many times. She said, I, I would just sleep. <laughs> I would just rest. That's the first thing I would do. I know some of you are laughing, right? But isn't that a really a sad commentary? Because, again, I can relate to that. It resonated with me because I said how many times I would feel the same. I could do anything I wanted. And all I'd want to do is just kind of rest and just really slow down. And don't listen to me. Don't, I, have, I don't have this all together. I'm the last guy that has this all together. This is something that I'm trying to persevere in. This is something that is challenging, but I'm really trying to make it part of my life. Do you understand? This is bigger than one message. We have to talk about this more than just today. This has to be a movement in the life of the church. I know Pastor Linda, there was a couple of years ago, it might even be like a decade now, and she delivered like a series on the Sabbath and she lit some candles and I never forgot it. But how many of us know if we don't keep the vision in front of the people, we as your pastors, what happens? It, it dies. It dissipates. It's no one's fault. It's just the world that we live in. We only get a, a small block of time to kind of expound on something, talk about something from the scriptures. But this has to be a movement in our church. This has to be something we say, man, this is of vital importance that we step out of traffic and we really slow down. Can I tell you, even just from personal experience, and Megan can attest to this, I'm talking, by the way, Sabbath is paid and unpaid work. Did you get that? Paid, whatever your job is to do, and unpaid. The hardest thing I will say for me to do uh, when I'm trying to practice Sabbath, now it's difficult for me. You can take maybe Sabbath today. I can't because I'm working. On Sundays that I work, it's, it's, it's quite arduous. I have to finish my sermon before Saturday. So what I try to do is, as best I can is, at some point I knock off on Friday night. I don't care what my sermon looks like. I love you. But wherever my sermon is at at that point, like I didn't do any work yesterday for this sermon. I don't know if that shows already, but I just basically, I'm done. And then Saturday night, I work like last night. I picked up again like 7.30 and, you know, Nolan was helping me. He was just kind of hanging out with me and we're going over stuff. And then for like four hours, I did work. I get up early and I continue on. The hardest thing for me is, 
is the, is the unpaid stuff. It's the laundry that I look at and it talks to me. How many of you know it? Like, it's like, fold me. You need to fold me. Look at all the clutter. Clean up your stuff. Look at your bed. Clean this. Do this. And I'm like, I, it's the heart, right? How many of you know the hardest thing to do is to step back and say, you know what? I'll finish it tomorrow. It's not going to be the end of the world, right? We think sometimes we're going to die one day. It have to be morbid. We're going to die. We think we're so important sometimes. Life is going to go on, right? After we die, we think we're so important. We think all these things have to be done. They don't have to be done. God has given us an incredible gift. It's a present that many of us never even try to open. And I know too, listen, this is a battle. This goes much deeper because I know, I know a lot of us in here, you want this in your life. How many of you really want this in your life? You want it in your life. There is a battle. We don't battle against flesh and blood. It's powers, principalities. Do you think the enemy wants people to step back and find real inner rest? Real inner rest from the self-reproach, from the murmuring. I think about it, I wasn't going to do it, but I, I was thinking about that movie, the Rocky One, Rocky One. I've never, I've used some Rocky illustrations. I don't think I've ever used this one. Do you remember the time I think, Pastor Joe can correct me if I'm wrong. Somebody's asking him, what, what are you doing, Rock? Why do you keep, you get your head smashed in. And what does he say? Because then I'll know I'm not a loser, a bum. Then I'll know I'm not a bum. Right? That's his whole existence. That's what he says. I'm going to keep getting in the ring and I'm going to keep fighting so I can prove to myself that I'm not a bum. We are the same way. There's something, whatever we're trying to achieve, whatever we're trying to prove to ourselves and to other people, this is deep stuff, but this is the truth. That is also part of what Sabbath is. Sabbath gives us time to sit back and reflect on why we're doing those things and listening to the voices. Why do you think Dallas Willard said the hardest disciplines, solitude and silence? Because we don't want to hear what is inside. We don't want to hear the pain. We just kind of want to go on and we want to be distracted. At least I do. I want to go on. And sometimes I don't want to hear those voices. I don't want to hear what's really going on inside of me. And so Sabbath is something that is supposed to bring us freedom. This is not about lowering our blood pressure. This is not about us being, oh, I, I, just, I hope you can go smell the roses now. Those are good things in and of themselves. But Sabbath is where we ultimately find freedom for our souls. Thomas Merton, who wrote in the 1960s, I didn't, I didn't even include, include the quote, but so interesting. He said, you know what we do? We run from one thing to the next and we keep living at this hectic pace again. He said this in the 1960s. He said, we commit soul violence. Do you realize the violence that we're inflicting on ourselves? We look at people in the world and somebody self-mutilates or whatever. And we go, oh, why would people do something like that? Why do we as a people, we are no different except in a spiritual sense. We are pushing ourselves to the limit. And over time, there is less and less that is left. There's not much inside of us. Why do you think we're so cranky all the time? Why do you think we're so tired? I'm not saying don't look, hit your spouse or whatever, somebody next to you. But how come for so many of us, we're so drained and exhausted? And I don't know about you, but what about the burdens that we carry that we're not supposed to carry? Jesus came when he came 2000 years ago. He lived what I'm going to call the unburdened life. And now I can get to why did I bring this bag up here today? You know why I brought this bag? And this bag's kind of heavy. I want you to feel this bag. I want you to feel this bag. Feel this bag. Go ahead. It's kind of heavy, right? No, you're supposed to say it's heavy. All right. Now, here's the thing. Let me, show, let me tell you. You, you want to know what's inside this bag? Right? You want to know what's inside? Some of you just woke up, right? Okay. Here's what I was thinking about, trying to come up with an illustration for this. You know what I was thinking about? All the burdens that we carry. I just wrote down a couple from my own life. How about burden number one? What I carry around with me all the time. How about when it comes to work? Am I doing a good job? I'm in two different places, but am I doing a good job when it, when it comes to my job at school and, and teaching my kids and really preparing them? Am I a good colleague in church here? Am I really, am I feeding you well? Or, along with the other pastors, am I feeding you well? How's that going, right? 
And then there's other rocks. Again, this is just my life, but I throw another rock out there. Then family, all the family responsibilities, right, that I have. I I have my kids, and as my kids get older, I have young kids, but I I see my seven-year-old, and as the kids get older, right, you try to control, at least I do a little bit. Hey, you can help me. I try to control them a little bit, right? You want to stop them from making bad decisions. And I find that the older they get, the harder that is right? That's not too easy. And then also other things that I carry, I I, I have financial, right? I have financial burdens, right? There are bills to pay, things that you have to take care of, right? Oh, oh, and how can I forget family-wise? How about marriage, right? Right? You have a marriage, maybe you're not married to somebody, but this is my burden, something that I carry around. And at times you you try to maybe control your wife a little bit. And the longer that I'm married, the, the, the older that she gets, the harder it is for that to happen. I just, I don't have any, I'm kidding around, but you know what I mean, right? You married, it's hard. And then how about the last one I was thinking, like, just like reputation, regrets, and the future. My reputation, what do people actually think of me? Now, I feel like in a lot of ways I've moved, I've come so far, and I'm sure for many of you, as time goes on, maybe you should care less and less about people, what they really ultimately think about you, right? But it's still hard at times. You still think about it. I'd be lying if I said that wasn't the case. But how about regrets? shame, things that, that I did, or how about the future? How many of you, sometimes you do this, you'll think about something that could possibly happen in the future, right? You think about what could happen in the future. So if that actually does happen, you've actually prepared yourself for what's going to take place, what's coming, right? You with me on that? These are just some of the burdens that I carry around. What about you? What are you carrying around every single day that you're not meant to carry around? What are those burdens for you? And I think if you just look, I just look at people. I'm at the gym this morning and I have music on. And it was like one of those songs. I was just in the moment. And I'm watching these people walk around. And this guy just kind of walks in like this. He walks into the gym, right? And with the weary eyes, furrowed brows. And then I'm just looking at other people. And I'm like, I should just preach a sermon right here to these people. But weariness and being tired, I think really though, if you look at other people that you see in everyday life, or you go to the mall, or you go to a restaurant, I think you see it on people's faces, people carrying this burden around. People so obsessed. And you know what happens to me? I get so preoccupied with self. When I carry all these burdens around and it's heavy and I'm moving through life, what happens is I get so preoccupied with myself that I forget about other people, that I miss out on all the moments that God is trying to connect with me. The average pastor will spend seven minutes a day in prayer. The average pastor... I read that in Leadership Magazine this week, and I said, oh my gosh, I hope I'm above the seven minutes, by the way. Pastor Linda definitely is. But there are days that, that I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, what, what, what happened? And my kids get older, and life goes on. And I'm like, man, there's more to life than all this. Aren't you sick of living the way you're living? I am so done carrying all of these burdens with me wherever I go. Jesus came to take away all of those burdens, to give us, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, you'll find rest for your soul. It's not too late, friends. Don't you walk out of here and say, man, that's not for me. Or look what I've done. I've never practiced. This could be, this is the time for you then. Now it's going to take, you're going to have to be intentional on this. Can we talk for the, just the last couple of minutes? about things that we can actually do in trying to be intentional? Can we talk about some some practical things so that we can make this part of our lives? Understand this. You don't just set aside, and I'm going to say it at the end. I'll say it now. Sabbath is something you may say 24 hours is way too big of a window for me. That's, that's okay. You don't have to start there. Maybe you take a couple of hours. Maybe you take an hour. You start small. I don't want you to be so overwhelmed and intimidated by this. It is technically supposed to be a 24-hour window of time. But you know what? I find when you go into Sabbath, like last weekend, when I flew in on Saturday and I was in Tampa, I had an uninter- for the most part, I had an uninterrupted day. I went out to lunch. I made an appointment with somebody that doesn't exist. And we went to lunch together, right? It was just me and the other, the other person. We just, there's nobody there. I'm just saying, it's my, I'm, my, I'm with myself. Right? I don't know, some of you are looking at me like, this guy losing it. 
So I went, uh, yeah, I went out to lunch, right? And I'm by myself. And there I, I'm reading on the plane before I got there. And then I'm there. And just the stroll that I took to get to this little restaurant and just kind of eat by myself and just be alone and talk to God and pray. And then after that, Sabbath is, listen, it's not about what you do on the Sabbath. It's what you don't do. You can't do Sabbath right. Don't you walk out of here and go, well, I got to follow all these rules. I went, listen to me, I went to Stony Brook School. A Christian high school, I will never forget how turned off I was to the Sabbath. There was one teacher. His kids were not allowed to do anything. It was like they couldn't move on the Sabbath. And I was always like, what's wrong with these people? How legalistic. Don't make this a thing that is legalistic, that there are certain rules that you have to follow. You have to find life in this. What gives you joy? What gives you pleasure? What do you delight in? You know what Megan and I love? We love food. <laughs> food. And I know a lot of you do too. No, I'm not kidding you. The last Saturday, when I'm practicing Sabbath last Saturday, and I go out to eat, and we're at this steak restaurant, and it's one of the highlights of the year for me to go to this place. I gorge myself. I have the guy, the, I, I, there aren't many gluten-free desserts, right? We're eating dessert at the end. I want the bananas foster. There's like four things I can get. I want the, he said, that's for two. I said, I'll be okay. Just bring that for me, right? You know what it is? You know what the Sabbath is? I run around and don't even taste my food all the time. I get yelled at my mother-in-law. Where is she? God bless her. She, I don't know. She's not in here right now, but I saw her before. Oh, there you are. Okay. She, oh, Jimmy, she calls me, Jimmy, are you going to sit down when you eat? No, I don't. I just kind of move around and I'm looking at the kids and I'm doing this and doing that. It's like Sabbath. Sometimes you can actually, I can actually taste the food. I actually know what I'm eating. How many of you are like, you can relate to that. You're just moving and moving and moving. You're eating and whatever. It's a time that you can really sit back and reflect and slow down and appreciate. And you look and you think of God and all his grandeur. And you think about all the things, how grateful you are for what you have with your family and your church. And you look out in nature and you see how beautiful things are. How come we don't step back? How come we don't step out of traffic and really do this? This is a lifeline from God to us. This is something you take Sabbath with you into the week it's a pro you take it with you wherever you go and you can have little sabbaths i've told you this before but it bears repeating just in my own life i hide in my classroom i have to hide at least one period a day is my period kids are not getting my period it's my sabbath and I read the word, I pray, I'll sit there, whatever. It's my time. And you know what? If I don't do that, I'll hear people hit the door. I literally have to hide in the back of the room and lock the door. I've had to hop out the window, the back window of my classroom on the first floor to escape and do all these crazy things because I have to guard it. We have to be intentional. We have to be a people that create, even if you can't do a full day, start with little Sabbath moments. I blew my notes out of the water. Where am I? It's, you know, I think, too, one of the things I have to highlight is, it's, you know what Sabbath is? Somebody else is in control. I have a sermon to complete. Oh, I got to get the sermon done. It has to be good because I'm a perfectionist. It has to be good. I'm going to beat myself up that the PowerPoint, it was my fault. I know what I, you want to know what I did, by the way? I put it in the Dropbox, whatever, folder somewhere, but it's not the worship folder that it was supposed to go in. Oh, I'll, I'll listen to me. I'm going to pay for that later on. <laughs> Talking to myself. Oh, you will pay. <laughs> It was so silly. All right, so here are the four characteristics that just make, you want to make, let's play make-believe. Make-believe you see them. There are four characteristics of a Sabbath. Now, this I'm taking from, I, I, to give you an idea, Eugene Peterson and Pete Scazzaro were very formative in this message for me. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, his latest book is The Emotionally Healthy Leader, and he has a huge piece in there. If you want to, even if you're like, I'm not a lead, you can read this about Sabbath. And in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he delves into it as well. And uh, I love what he says, just in the first thing, he says, just stop, just stop, stop. And he talks about, he says, the best picture of Sabbath, this was great. How many of you know the B&H photo um, equipment place? It's on 9th Avenue, 34th Street, right near Penn Station in the city. How many of you know where that is, right? Did you know that is the second largest non-chain video audio equipment store in the world? 
in the world. Second largest, right? But here's what's crazy. It is run by Hasidic Jews. The owners, many of the employees. So on Friday, seven to 8,000 people come through the doors every single day. Friday afternoon at 1 o'clock, guess what? They don't care how many people are in the store. They're closing up shop at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. They're going home to celebrate the Sabbath. They would, uh, somebody asked, a customer asked the director of communications at B&H, said, um, how could you uh, close the store, not just any day, but also your website on Black Friday? So 70% of their sales are online. Nothing happens Friday, all day Saturday. Everything is closed down. Everything is shut down. I love this. The day after Thanksgiving, the busiest shopping day of the year. You know what the director simply said? We respond to a higher authority. Millions of dollars every single year are lost. You can't tell me, friends, God does not bless that business because they are first. He is first in their lives. You can't tell me that. All right. So, you know, and again, I said before, I think we look at this as as something that's optional. Like, you know, it's extra credit. It's something that the really good Christians do. Well, a Catholic theologian by the name of Leonard Duhan, I I loved how he put it. He said, to fail to see the value of simply being with God and doing nothing. Did you get that? Doing nothing is to miss the heart of Christianity. It's to miss the heart of Christianity. How many of you, Greek mythology, you had a picture of him, just you'll have to imagine the, the guy Sisyphus. You ever hear the story of Sisyphus? Sisyphus was a guy that was, uh, he had to roll a big rock up a hill. And when he got to the top of the hill, what would happen to the rock? It would go back down the hill. And he had to work incessantly every single day. He never paused. He never stopped. When did this rug come in? Because I keep hitting, I'm going, this is, because I'm, you know, I know where I'm moving and I'm moving. I'm, I'm going, that doesn't usually happen. So I just had to ask that question. I'm good. Sisyphus, Sisyphus, rolling the rock, coming back down. The guy didn't stop working. And I said, I looked in the mirror. I'm like, you're Sisyphus. That's you. That's you. You just keep going. Slow down. Stop. There it is. You're the best. There he is. That, that, that was the picture. I, that was literally the picture. How did you find it so quickly? You're the man. <laughs> did you hear what I said in the beginning of the sermon about technology and how quickly? In, in one minute and 26 seconds, he looked up Sisyphus, which is not an easy name to spell, and he found the picture of him pushing the rock up the hill. You know, when I was thinking about work, God, you know, God created work. It was to be a good thing, right? Before man fell in the garden, right? Work was to be good. God, the enemy can't create. I, I never forgot this token. God, uh, the enemy cannot take something. He can't create anything in and of itself. He can only take what God has created and twist it and manipulate it. So he's taken a good thing, which is work. And then it's like, kind of like, let me put it this way. Let me go into the health world. How many of you give your kids vitamins or you take vitamins for yourself? All right. Did you know new studies, Johns Hopkins, I was reading this recently about this uh, studies. Are you laughing at me that I'm reading this stuff? This, this, yeah, I like that stuff. Iron, vitamin A, vitamin D, like fat soluble vitamins. They're good for you. You can overdose and die from taking too much of them. And you hear cases, there are over a hundred cases every year of people giving their kids too much iron. So be careful about that. So not only am I a preacher today, I'm a doctor today. Right. So you really have to you have to be careful, but right, something that is good. So the vitamin is is essentially good for us. But when we take too much of it over the course of time, it has a negative impact on us. And we're going and go. And and I didn't I'm not putting it up there, but just take it for what it's worth. When you look at Deuteronomy and you you look in the Old Testament, when God laid this out, the Ten Commandments, notice who else gets right. Even the animals get rest. Even the land, what is supposed to happen every seven years? The land is supposed to get a year off so the nutrients can replenish. We just keep going and we think that we're just going to get more energy somewhere. It's not going to happen by osmosis. We're going to have to be a people that actually take a rest and we say, okay, I can step back and and then delight that last thing I said to you. What are those things? Can I ask you? What are the things that really give you joy? 
What are those things that you love to do? Is it reading? That's something that's high on my list. Is it hiking? Is it going shopping? No. Is it... Is it, 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 can you, is it watching a great movie? Do you save something? I mean, I, do, I watch a documentary. I don't even know if you know this. I, I don't think we ever talked about this, so I'm going to tell everybody this in front of you. <laughs> Every Saturday morning, I get up and I watch a documentary. I take care of the kids, you know, I help it. That's her morning. Megan's on Saturday morning, she sleeps. So I can't sleep. What? I didn't say, you, I didn't, I didn't say anything about how long you sleep. I just said, that's you. <laughs> wait, wait. Do we have a problem in our marriage? <laughs> Would you like to talk about it more right now? <laughs> she doesn't sleep late, but I, I can't sleep anyway. <laughs> I can't sleep, so I'm up with the kids, right? But I watch like a documentary. It's like, it doesn't have to be a spiritual thing. You don't listen to me. Sabbath is not, I'm going to go take my, I'm going to read my Bible and pray for 24 hours. That's what, that's what Sabbath is. Wrong, wrong right? You're not, you're not going to sit there and do that for 24 hours. Is it part of what you do during that day? I would like to think it is, but again, there are no shoulds. There is no perfect way to do this, but that should, I would think that would be part of it. But what again brings you real delight is it walks in nature. I love to go in nature and this is crazy. I got Lyme disease like eight years ago. I'm still afraid to go in the woods of the ticks, right? Still afraid. I won't go in. I go in the winter time when it's really cold and I know they're like dormant. I'll go in the woods but a lot of times, I should, my wife's always, Megan's always like, why don't you go take more walks? Why don't you get out there more? And she's right. But what for you? What do you get real joy in? What gives you real pleasure? You can't understand God, C.S. Lewis says, until you understand he's the happiest being in the universe. The happiest. Do you realize what heaven is going to be like? Can I just read you this quote? Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, some of you probably heard of him. He said, Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated in the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. (laughs) The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal. I love that. And the seventh day in time is an example of eternity. Do you realize what happens when we practice Sabbath? We're tasting eternity. How many of you know when you're like, like yesterday, I'm with my family and we're having a spirited discussion just about everything, church, life, politics, the race, everything going on. It was great. It was wonderful. And I walked away from there. And you know what I said? How filling it was. And we're an Italian family and very demonstrative. And Jen's like, look at how, Jen, at one point Jen goes, right? And she's like, look at how Italian we are, <laughs> right? All these strong person, we're all strong personalities, right? So you stick us all in one room and you want to talk about something that's conscious. And we just boom, boom, boom. And by the end, everybody loves each other. Right? By the end, by the end all good. doesn't always happen. It may, may take longer than a couple hours. But I sat there and said, oh, you don't, your family's normal. Okay. All right. <laughs> but really, I, I sat back though and said, how filling that is. And when you really practice, when you really practice Sabbath and you really taste it, you taste eternity. Like I, I literally was like holding back, you, you hold back tears. I was leaving my cousin and my brother last, and I didn't tell them this, but I'm leaving them last Sunday night. It was late. And I was like, and I always cry, right? So I'm trying to hold, I'm in an airport. I'm like, you can't cry right here. You got to hold it together. So I'm in the airport and I'm trying to hold back these tears because I'm like, this is what eternity is. I tasted something and I'm with people that I love and I'm talking about things. And yes, some of it was fantasy football, which is totally ridiculous. But anyway, my team is folding. That's another story. But when you think about it, though, that's what life is all about. And I touched and tasted eternity with people that I love to step back again. If we're not intentional and step out of traffic, it's never going to happen. So the challenge is for us starting this week, and Pastor Linda can speak, she knows a lot more about this, and this is, again, you preach over your head sometimes, I I wish I was further along the road than I actually am, but I'm on the road, and I'm under construction, and it's it's very meaningful to me, and it's just something that's resonating in me, and it's something I know by God's Spirit, if we are to be a people in these last days that are prepared for what's coming on this planet, for what's coming ahead, for the tough times, listen, it goes hand in hand, there will be revival, like we've never seen before. First great awakening, second, like, like we've never seen. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But we have to believe that even better things are in store for us, but it's also going to be difficult. They're going to go hand in hand. And the enemy's not just going to let things happen. So we have to be a people. This is one way that we're countercultural. 
Do you understand how radical Sabbath is? And last thing, I promise, I promise my last thing. I know some of you have questions. If you have kids, some of you parents, you have kids, what are you supposed to do? Diapers still have to get changed. I can't say, hey, Nolan, Jameson, change Nolan's diaper. Sabbath for daddy today, it's your turn. Take care. Hey, go make yourself breakfast. doesn't happen. There are things that we have to do. What about if your kids have sport, sporting events? You know what? You go to those sporting events. Guess what? Maybe you leave your phone in the car. Maybe you leave your phone home. Maybe you're not answering emails. Maybe you're not texting everyone. Actually, maybe you're actually getting in conversations with people and you're talking about some meaning, meaningful things. Don't make this a rule legalistic thing. God gave us the Sabbath. What, what does Jesus say in Mark? Man was not created for the Sabbath. But Sabbath was created for man. He created it as a gift to us and for us so we'd experience it. Why do we want to just keep moving? It's crazy when you think about it. Here it is. Here's a gift. And we say, I don't want your gift. He's offering it to us. We're in a battle, a spiritual battle. This is a way, as a church in the 21st century, we can be countercultural. We're not, I'm not, we're not giving up like, oh, that was great. I got a Sabbath sermon today. Awesome. Right? Whatever you do, start, if, if, if that's you and you want to start small, create Sabbath moments in your life. Don't get too into Don't say, I'm going to fail. I'm afraid to try this. Go small. Go slow. But eventually, you come back and tell us what happens when you're actually practicing this in your life and what God, and God's speaking to you. So often we just speak. We don't, we don't have time to listen. So here is, what, what is the next step for you? And, and, and I took this for, excuse me, from uh, Pete's book, Pete's Gazzaro. Uh... Maybe I didn't. Oh, next steps. Here it is. What I had in a PowerPoint slide. Decide on a day. He wrote down. I thought that was great. What's the day? So for me, if I do it on weeks I preach, it has to be Friday night at some point into Saturday night, right? And again, it's freedom. It's letting go. It's trusting God that he's on the throne. He can, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think with the time we say, God, I'm giving you this time. I'm stepping back and I'm trusting you that all of my needs are going to get met. I'm trusting you. Even if it's, I'm turning down overtime. I'm turning something down that I'm trusting you that you can make a way in this. That's one. Number two, reflect on these uh, three questions. What do I need to stop that relates to my work, paid and unpaid? I'll give Joanne, if you want it, I will give Joanne this PowerPoint. I'll email it to her. And if you would like to look at these questions, you can have it there. What activities create rest and delight for you? I said that to you in the sermon. And then the last one, how can you structure your day to cultivate a greater awareness of God in your life and in the world? I like that. How can you structure your day? How many of you are on board with this? Is this something you're leaving today and you're going, yeah, yeah. Just pretend. Remember, I'm, I'm going to leave here today. If I didn't see your hand up, I'm kidding. But hopefully this is something, really, hopefully this is something that you really want to jump into and you see the importance of it for the church. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.